You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Joe Nespo is a musician, songwriter, economist, and author. His books available in English include The Red Breast, Nemesis, and The Devil's Star. He's also the main vocalist and songwriter for the Norwegian rock band Ditera. His newest novel is The Snowman, and he's also published a children's book, Dr. Proctor Promper Thank you for joining me, Joe. Thank you for having me. Joe, uh, your protagonist, Harry Hole, has been a part of your life for a long time now, hasn't he? Yeah, he's, he's been around since 1997. He was, was actually born on a, uh, on a flight between Oslo and Sydney in 97. Now, tell us about that flight. Where were, you, where were you in your life when you just decided to start writing these kind of uh, mystery, police, procedural, horror novel, everything in the world? Um, I, was, I was at the end of a year uh, that had been very fun, but uh, very stressful. I'd, we had just had a ba- breakthrough with our band, uh, and uh, uh, I, I had maintained my my working schedule as a as a stockbroker, and uh, I was working at the brokerage firm uh, from nine to four, and then I would go off to play a gig somewhere in in, uh, in Norway, just you know going to the airport and uh, going to wherever my band was. They were touring with a bus, and I'd do 180 gigs with a band that year uh, while having a daytime job. So I was pretty much exhausted at the end of the year. And um, so I told my band that I needed a vacation, and I told my boss at the brokerage firm I needed a vacation. Um, And then I took off for Australia with uh, just me and a laptop. And uh, there was a friend that traveled with me for the first two weeks. He had to go back to work. Um, but he, he showed me around in Australia because he had lived there with his wife for three years. But then was when he went back to Norway, I was all by myself, me and my laptop. So I had to do something. And like I said, I, I, I'd come up with a character, Harry Hole. Um, I had an idea for a crime novel. And so I sat down and I wrote uh, my first crime novel. Uh, that was published um, later that year in Norway. I'd like you to talk about the environment in Norway for readers like yourself and writers like yourself that um, the kind of the crime novel environment here in the United States you can't escape crime whether you're like looking at the newspaper or looking at the television I mean it's even in the soap operas the soap operas have like uh, you know, kind of super villains now they are, are trying to take over the world. So, um, and we have a long literary tradition of, of crime novels. You know, Raymond Chandler is, you know, up there with the, you know, the James Joyce's in some ways of, of the United States. So I'd like you to talk about the environment in um, Norway, where you live. What, what's it like there? Uh, how uh, deeply has crime fiction penetrated the consciousness of Norway's readers and writers? Um, I think that crime literature has been a very important uh, part of the uh, literature scene for uh, for many many years, um, and it's ranked, you know, among um, 
the writers are ranked, you know, uh, uh, among the best writers, not only in Europe, but also among the best writers in Norway. It's like it's prestigious to write uh, crime novels. Mm -hmm. it, it, it didn't used to be that way. And I mean, to, to some extent, um, uh, uh, there's still, you know, uh, a part of the uh, crime literature scene that isn't regarded as fine as, um, and as good as, uh, as the rest of the literature. Uh, it's regarded as pulp fiction. But something happened in, not only in Norway, but in whole of Scandinavia during the 70s with two Swedish writers, Sjöval and Balle. At that time they wrote um, political crime, uh, left wing, mm. but more importantly it was, it was good quality. Mm -hmm. And they sort of brought the crime novel from the kiosks into the bookstores and oh, placed it on the same shelves as, uh, as the uh, serious literature. And after that, um, the young, talented writers that would probably otherwise have, you know, focused on serious literature, uh, they used the crime novel as a, you know, vehicle for their storytelling talents. Meaning that by now there are so many good, talented writers uh, doing the best writing crime stories in Denmark, Sweden, and uh, Norway. So it's, um, I guess it's. Um, a bit different from uh, from most countries, where I think that uh, crime literature is still regarded as as lowbrow. You know, mm -hmm. it's, uh, um, but 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 then again, I mean, you 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 do have bad Scandinavian crime writers too. <laughs> well, now, who did you read growing up as a kid? What kind of books did you read? I mean, were you reading uh, crime literature or? Uh Adventure fiction? Um, well, it uh, it depends what uh, what you define as crime literature. It's um, um, I didn't I didn't read mysteries. You had uh, you know um, I don't know um, what it's called in in American, but we had the uh, the, uh, the Hardy Brothers. Mm -hmm. Oh, um, the Hardy Brothers, of yeah, course. Yeah, and they were very popular, and that was you know mysteries. Mm -hmm. That was crime literature, and uh, but I was. Um, I was brought up on Mark Twain and uh, and Fenice uh, Cooper and uh, oh wow, you know, um, you can't go wrong old, with Mark Twain. Old, old tales from uh, from America. My my father grew up in New York in Brooklyn together oh, really? with my grandparents. So I guess he he brought a bit of the American culture with him back home. But then you had some you know really good um, Norwegian writers too um, uh, that wrote. Uh, children's books and of course uh, Swedes like uh, uh, Astrid Lindgren who wrote uh, the, uh, the Pippi Long, Longstock uh, stories. Sure. Um, but um, I don't see you as a Pippi Longstocking kind of guy though. No, I <laughs> probably was my favorite either. But <laughs> um, From Pippi Longstocking to Harry Hole, there's a journey for you. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, for uh, it's a long journey for most people to, to when you look at what they read when they were young to what they uh, ended up reading because for me the, the, the long journey was probably not uh, from um, the child books to what I wrote but to what I started reading when I was 15, 16 because mm. I then jumped directly to um, Knut Thompson, a Norwegian uh, Nobel Prize winner uh, and also American literature like I was fond of Ernst Hemingway. I really loved Charles Bukowski. Mm. Um, I didn't, you know, really read Raymond Chandler and Dashiell Hammett. Instead, uh, in my twenties, I started reading uh, Jim Thompson, which I discovered, mm. and his 
brilliant novels, uh, The Killer Inside Me and Population 1280, and uh, later Grifters and uh, The Getaway, and all its great novels, which is which was amazing, uh, but also surprising because uh, I discovered that really great writers can write really bad novels. So uh, <laughs> to me, Jim Thompson was at his best, but just brilliant. You know, it's uh, my all-time favorite, but at at his not so good, one of the worst. <laughs> so now. Uh at this time, when you're like 15, you're you're reading, you know, these kind of crime novels and stuff, and Nobel Prize winners. But you're also, I'm guessing, uh, interested, in, heavily interested in rock and roll too. I am. Um, I grew up with a um, with a big brother. He was five years older than me, and um, I would grow up with the records he bought. So he would sort of uh, my taste in music, or his taste in music, would sort of define my taste in music. Uh, because I had no choice, I had his <laughs> records. No, I, uh, among his records, I did, of course, have some uh, favorites. So um, I grew up. I guess I'm, I was a Beatles fan, of course. In those days, you had to uh, make a choice whether you were a Beatles fan or a Rolling Stones fan. Uh -huh. um, you know, uh, and uh, the Beatles fans—they were the nice guys. You know, they would actually put uh, put the record back in the sleeve. You know. <laughs> Uh, so you didn't get scratches on it. Well, the Stones fans, they would sort of just, you know, put two nails, nail it to the wall, the album, you know, or at least the cover and just have the record lying around. Um, and I was a Beatles fan, you know, um, uh, I, I, I cheered for the nice guys. And um, later on, it would be Pink Floyd. Mm. Uh, I started listening to the early Pink Floyd records. Then later on, when I started studying, I am... Um, uh, my attention returned to um, American rock in the 80s, like uh, Green on Red, Rank and File, uh, Dream Syndicate, mm. uh, would be R.E.M. of course, the early records of R.E.M., which were, which were great. Um, and um, I guess that was my, um, and also singer-songwriters. I sort of discovered, you know, when, 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 um, Neil Young and Bob Dylan in the in the eighties were sort of out of fashion. That was when I actually discovered them, mm. and of course Bruce Springsteen. Which um, you know, when 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 people say their favorite Bruce Springsteen album is um, it's it's either uh, Born to Run or Darkness at the Edge of Town. Uh -huh. But for me, it's uh, it's it's the River, mm. and I still when I go back and I listen to the albums, it's still the River. It's something about you know double albums. Um, it goes with your storytelling instinct, I would yeah, guess. Yeah, maybe, maybe. It's it, it's just um, all my favorite albums. They are you know long double albums. Now, um, I, why don't you? Would you play us one of your songs? I wouldn't, but um, you 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 brought the guitar, so I didn't <laughs> plan to. But you brought the guitar, so um, I guess that means um, I'll have to. Uh, I have to warn you because my. As you know, my lyrics are in Norwegian. That's fine. Well, you want to hear them in Norwegian. And since I've been traveling from, um, from all the way from Oslo to come here, it's, uh, this is a simple song about uh, traveling. Okay. These are uh, the 14 advices of traveling that my father gave me when I was uh, 17 years old. What an interesting format for a song. I like yeah. that. Yeah. Please. 
caras Reis med bagage och ett sinn som är lätt Tänk vad du vill i den min fötter Ta med dig, ta med dig ett skogjärn så kan du ligga fram That was the first three advices that's nice. That's beautiful. Yeah, now, did, was, did that get played on the radio? Oh yeah. Oh yes. So, talk a little bit about your your careers. You have three. You're juggling three really big careers. Any one of which could consume any human being whole and eat their lives. You're an economist, a stockbroker, working forty hours a week. You're a rock star doing a gig every other night, essentially and you're writing novels. Now, not all at once, necessarily. No. But tell us about um, just channeling this kind of energy, because it's one kind of energy. Actually, no, maybe it's not. Maybe they're all the same kind of energy. Uh, kind of, is there a creative drive that gets you to do stockbrokering? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't. That was just a job. Mm. That was working uh, to pay the rent. Mm. Um, but I think that writing music and writing novels, um, that comes from the same source. Uh, that has, for me, that has to do with storytelling. Mm -hmm. um, even through, I, I mean, I write through lyrics, but also the music that is part of the, that is part of the prose, that is part of the uh, storytelling. Oh, the way I interesting. See it. Yes, yeah. And um, uh, you know, I. I, I I come from a storytelling family. My, my father was a great um, storyteller. My brothers are great storytellers. Uh, most of my relatives, they were, you know, keen storytellers, my uncles and aunts. So when we got together, you know, for family gatherings, it's, it would always be sort of a competition of storytelling. <laughs> um, uh, a competition, a friendly competition, of course, but mm -hmm. uh, because we were also, and we all, always wanted to hear the same stories. It wasn't like, you come together and tell new stories. Mm. It would be a couple of new stories, but the best one, ones were always, you know, the old ones that we, we told over and over. And I think that that sort of um, uh, gave me an idea of how a story would and could work, you know, uh, that, for example, I realized that uh, um, the punchline is not necessarily what the story is about that uh, the story is about something, uh, something, something different. And, uh, you know, telling the stories over and over again, you would sort of um, learn uh, where you had the, the soft tissue of the story, where you had the, uh, had the heart of the story, what, what the heartbeat was. And, and, and uh, it... Uh, more often than not, it would uh, it, it it wouldn't have anything to do with the with the punchline. Um, so I I guess that gave me sort of a feel for and also a, a confidence telling stories. So um, if it's one thing in my life that I sort of always knew that um, that I know how to do, it's telling stories. 
people may of course agree with you and say that they would prefer you know the story told in another way in another style but i i would always know that um if they didn't agree with me they were wrong <laughs> <coughs> well that's actually a, a necessary component for writers to have confidence so. in your storytelling skills Definitely. and to know what you need to do now let's get back to the creation of the Batman because and this has a link to your new novel as well I think in terms of them both being about uh, serial killers so uh, talk about how much in it you went on this vacation to go to uh, Australia how much of the novel did you have in your mind? Had you actually written anything, or did you just have some kind of like a, an idea? I hadn't. I had, um, uh, like I said, uh, um, my main character Harry Hole was born on the on the flight between Oslo and Sydney, oh. and so was the story. <laughs> wow. um, I came up with the character, and then um, you know, really simple plot. Uh, but what happened was, I mean, I wasn't very experienced. I I, I didn't know what to expect when I started writing novel. My experience was to write, you know, um, uh, three verses and a, and a, and a refrain. Um, and so when I came to Australia, I sort of had a, you know, um, I had some, um, I, didn't have, I, I didn't have a detailed map for the, for the novel, but I had some ideas. Uh, I wouldn't call it the synopsis, just, you know, uh, rough ideas that I, hadn't, that I just had in my head. And so I started writing. And I found out the story probably changed, you know, every second day. It took a new direction, mm -hmm. uh, which is, you know, what happens when you're writing your first novel. Um, so in the end, after having uh, worked on the novel for a couple of weeks, I would sit down and write a short synopsis because I knew that I had to have some directions. I, I, every second day when you come with an idea, I think that, okay, this is better than the idea you had two days ago you would have to sit down and rewrite you know the first five and six chapters mm. um, so um, I worked my way through the first novel um, but then again it, it, it didn't feel like work I, I, I mean I did this willingly and it was 18 hours a day just uh, sitting in a small hotel room in uh, Sydney running out into the street of the Red Light District, where I was um, was staying, just to get some food and then run back in, into my small dark hotel. So uh, apart from the first two weeks when I traveled around with my friends, with my uh, uh, friend, um, I didn't see anything in Australia. <laughs> I was just writing all uh, all the time. Now, the driving force in the center of your novels is, of course, Harry Hole, and he's a really great character. And, and I'd like you to talk about creating this character he came to you on, on a plane flight and he stayed with you for, oh, it sounds like uh, 13, 14 years. Mm. This is a, a long time. So talk about, um, you know, creating a man and, you know, creating his background. And, you know, you kind of like, do you feel like you live vicariously through him or is he like your friend? Um. Well, I, uh, I guess he, he has become sort of a friend. Um, um, over the years, I've, uh, I've gotten to know him. Uh, and because, I guess, in my first two novels, I had the general idea who, uh, who he was. But he wasn't that important in the first two novels. Um, he was more of a sort of a camera lens for the reader. Mm -hmm. um, he was the, um, the guy who... Uh, who saw what was going on, who, um, he had, I had the, 
in a monologue of what Harry was thinking. Uh, but he was more of a neutral person. He wasn't too crazy. Uh, it wasn't so much about um, uh, what was what was driving Harry as what was driving the criminal. Mm -hmm. uh, but then it changed a little bit of the series. Um, it um, became more and more a story about Harry and Harry's life and what was driving him. And um, it's interesting because uh, normally you will have a car character that you you will uh, you will get tired of him. You mm -hmm. will have sort of he will be finished. You you will have written all the stories there is to tell about him. But in Harry's case, for me, it's uh, it's like he's he's becoming more and more interesting to me because he's a complex character and he's a character of contradictions. It's um, it's like he's this guy who's um, does believe in the system. He does uh, uh, believe in justice. On the other hand, he is becoming more and more similar to the people he's chasing. And uh, although he's, uh, he has a, this you know, really driven personality, uh, almost obsessive uh, with uh, cashing criminals, he doesn't find any pleasure in the king any longer. I get, he's interested in the hunting. He does find pleasure in the hunting. But as soon as you, know, you have what is suppo uh, supposed to be the climax of the hunt, the catching, uh, he loses interest, and it, it, it's actually an anti-climax for me, for him. Just the same as the murder is for the serial killer. You know, you you you, you never get the satisfaction that you're looking for. You know, this goes exactly with what you are saying about stories and the punchline. The punchline is not the most important part of the story. Catching the criminal is not the most important part of the story. It's what happens in between. So. Harry, like you, is interested in the soft tissue of detection. Yeah, I, th uh, uh, I think so. It's uh, it's what gets the reader's attention. Also, I mean, uh, I think that in in most stories, what you're really interested in is not whether the police officer is going to uh, or the detective is going to catch the killer or not. Although you are interested in that too, and you're interested in who's done it, but in most stories, I think it's about the moral choices that the main character is making along the way. Um, I mean, in a typical movie about uh, some some guy escaping a, a volcano that is having an eruption, um, you are, of course, interested in whether the lava is going to, 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 uh, uh, to get him or mm -hmm. uh, whether he's going to escape. But what you're really interested in is whether he is going to stop and go back uh, to the volcano to try to save his worst enemy. That is what that decision, that is really what you're interested in because that is going to tell you whether his eternal soul is going to survive, you know, whether he's, whether he's going to end up in heaven or hell, what kind of guy he is. Uh, and I think it's the same thing with Harry. Mm. At the end, probably he will find the killer Maybe not, but in most cases probably will. But it's um, it's um, it's about the choices he has made along the way. That's important to the reader, I believe. That's certainly true. That's a very interesting observation. Now, in the latest novel, um, Harry Harry has a, a new 
you add a new character. And this is one of the things, hallmarks of all great crime novels, is it's not just the protagonist, it's the people who are with them. I mean, Sherlock Holmes is a fantastic character, but we won't be anything without Watson. And even his, his house lady and, and the, you know, his, the, the boys on the street. So talk about creating the, the Harry's uh, supporting characters. Um, I started uh, with a colleague in uh, the Red Breast. That was sort of the first person that was really close to, to Harry um, uh, on, on the police force. Uh, up until then, he had been uh, a loner. Uh, I mean, in the Red Breast, he's still a loner, but this Ellen is a close colleague, and she's funny, shares his sense of humor. Um, but then she dies early on in the book, and mm -hmm. I was, you know... Uh, when that book came out, I had a lot of readers' reactions to <laughs> Ellen's death, and I still have. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's like, you know, in a way, I guess Harry and also me, we are still mourning her. It's uh, that was a tra tragic death, um, but it it fits the pattern of Harry's life that all the people that he ties bond with, that he uh, loves will sooner or later lose. Same thing happened with his mother. Same thing happened uh, with the first, his girl first, uh, his first girlfriend. Um, so it's sort of a, uh, a pattern in his, uh, in his life. Uh, I, I guess that is the reason why he's finding it so hard to love people because he unconsciously uh, he knows that if he starts loving them, he will lose them. Um, but he has a small, very small uh, entourage um, he has Eystein uh, Eikelon, which is one of my friends. You know, I phoned him up and asked him, can I use your name in this, um, <laughs> in this novel? Uh, in the novel, he's, um, he's a taxi driver. Mm -hmm. He's a thirsty taxi driver and a crazy guy. Um, a bit similar to, to, to my friend, but, you know, not 100% uh, not, um, uh, uh, the same guy. Plausible denial. Yeah. And... Um, he has uh, also his in uh, in the red breast. He also meets Rakil, um, Rakil, um, which is the woman in his life from then on. She will uh, they will go in and out of uh, a relationship. Uh, there are good reasons not to be Harry's uh, girlfriend, um, but despite that, they are they are sort of meant for each other, and they you know, emotionally, they can't get rid of each other. So they are on and off uh, through the story. And also, um, uh, Rachel's uh, son, Oleg, uh, which is, you know, the closest thing Harry has to the son. Uh, and um, so it's where, you know, um, I don't know whether Harry uh, in the beginning is comfortable with being this father figure for, uh, for Oleg. Uh, but later on in the story, he's, uh, he sort of adapts to the idea of being uh, his father. Now, um, play me another song. Okay. Um, this is a song about um, ski jumping. It's a, it's a big thing in Norway. This is about this, um, ski jumper. It's based on, the, uh, on what happened. Uh, when I was young, we had this um, uh, ski jumping hill just um, 
close to where I lived. Mm -hmm. And uh, on late December, um, they were uh, they were practicing ski jumping, and I was there. And um, one of the jumpers, he was at the jump uh, when uh, when the electricity you know, were uh, were gone, and uh, it was pitch dark, and we could hear the jumper, you know, in the air, but we couldn't see him, and he probably couldn't see anything himself. And um, it took eight or nine seconds and then the lights came back on and he had disappeared. you were saying but it was no. it was beautiful and it's interesting i think because of the way when i was reading uh, uh the snowman you kind of give us these like little chunks that are adrift in time and space and place and i was kind of hearing a little bit of that in the way the song was moving and i'm wondering and you talked about the music and the music and the words and also mm -hmm. i think the assembly of stories and plots, there's a music to that as well. So I'd like you to talk a little bit about, you were saying earlier too, that storytelling was a part of your family life. Mm -hmm. um, so I'd like you to talk just a little bit about your sense of story and how that played. It seems like it's becoming more and more sophisticated as mm -hmm. time goes by and, and that's natural. And so talk about developing uh, the story for The Snowman, which I understand was a very different novel for you to write. It wasn't mm. written in your normal novel writing manner, was it? No, I, th I, I think it's probably true to say that um, uh, while my previous stories was, um, when I started working on them, I concentrated on the plot. And I, I usually spend a lot of time working on the plot, you know, constructing the story, building a skeleton for the story. So that when I finally sit down and I write a story, 
I, I don't have the feeling that I'm coming up with a story, that I'm creating a story, but I'm, that I'm retelling a story that's already there. So I guess that has to do with the tr tradition in our family to, to always retelling old stories, but like that you know, mm -hmm. feeling that you are trying to tell a story again, but in a slightly different way and to improve it a little bit. Um, so I, I, usually I, I write a story like two or three times before I sit down and I write chapter one and have the feeling that now I'm starting. That you can tell your reader come sit closer because I have this great story to tell you and I know exactly how, how it goes. So trust me. Um, but um, um, and then um, during, uh, during the writing process, I will get a feel for the atmosphere and for the characters. And then finally, at the end, I will hopefully come up with, with a title. title is always difficult. But with Snowman, it was the other way around. It actually started with a title. Um, a couple of friends of mine were producing a horror movie. And, um, what was they, the movie? Um, the movie was about um, some young people going to uh, the mountains skiing and um, then uh, one of them uh, would get injured and uh, they would break into a deserted ski resort and they had to stay there because of the weather and um, the second night, uh, night one of them would get killed and then the second night another one would get, get killed of course and so they would be killed off one by one mm -hmm. uh, so traditional fare um, but they phoned me and they didn't have a title for the movie or they weren't happy with the title that they had and they were having a brainstorm and wondering if I had any suggestions and I said that um, well let me think about it for two seconds I thought about it for two seconds and then I said the snowman you should call it the snowman that's a great title just think of you know you have this um, image of this innocent cozy uh, thing that children will make if you put a thing like that in a different context then it becomes so scary so you know it's just the same with dolls and clowns mm. you know it's, so I said the snowman that's a great title and they said yeah well maybe so but uh, the only problem is there's no snowman in the story and I said, I, I actually think the title is so good that you should consider having a snowman in the story. <laughs> um, but I didn't. So I, um, you know, I had this great title that um, uh, nobody would use. <laughs> and, and so I, I figured that, okay, I'll use this for one of my own novels. And so I, I started the process of, you know, uh, thinking what the title, uh, what the story behind the title is. And I'm, I came up with one key scene um, that sort of defined the atmosphere of the novel I was going to write. So it was, like I said, completely the other way around. It started with a title, and then something, well, the feeling in the in the in the story. And that would be a woman late in November in in Oslo, um, an evening. The first snow has fallen in Oslo that day. A woman comes home from work, she, works, uh, she walks into her house, into the kitchen, and there's her son and her husband making dinner for her. And she says, uh, what a beautiful uh, snowman you built in the garden. And they will stop working and look up at her and say, we didn't build any snowman. And then all the three of them uh, will walk into the living room 
and she will point to the garden and sure enough there's a huge snowman and the husband says well it's probably the kids next door that used our garden to build a snowman and so he and um, his wife will walk back to the kitchen but the boy he will stay in the living room staring at this huge snowman because he senses that there's something wrong about the snowman normally if you build a snowman you will naturally instinctively make it face the road mm -hmm. and where you have a view while this snowman is facing the house and is standing too close to the house and is staring right into the living room so that was that was the only scene i had i knew it, it had to be in there i didn't know what it was about but with the title and that one scene i started working um on um, them on the story and uh, and the plot and the starting point is a young uh, uh, female police of uh, officer she uh, she's working in, in bergen which is on the west coast of, uh, of oslo uh, with the climate uh, uh, something like seattle um, looks like seattle in many ways and um, um, they don't have many murder cases um, so she has time to look at old cases so she is looking at um, cases of missing persons uh, over the last 12 years and normally you will look at statistics just for your own district but she is looking at um, the number of missing persons uh, all over the country and to see if there are any connections and she finds something disturbing and that is that women uh, in their 20s 30s married women have gone missing over the last 12 years um, in the month of october and november and normally 99 percent of all peace, uh, people that uh, go missing they will um, you will find them sooner or later but these women uh, have never been found um, and uh, then she finds the piece of information that connects the missings and that is they all disappeared on the day that the first snow has fallen um, where they are living um, and so she contacts the only police officer uh, in Norway that has specialized on serial killers and that is Harry Hole, my detective and so they start looking for and hunting the snowman. Now Harry Hole is an interesting character for a Norwegian detective because he has a lot of American strain in him, doesn't he? He, he's, he takes more DNA from uh, your New York, uh, your parents' New York years than uh, from your own residency, doesn't he? I, gu I, I guess it's, um, I'm, I'm probably more influenced by American hard-boiled uh, crime novels. Uh, like you mentioned, uh, uh, Chandler and uh, Hammett. Uh, I um, at the same time, there's a, uh, like I said, there's a there's a wave of uh, Scandinavian crime writing right mm. now. Um, but I, um, I I actually, you know, I have read most of my colleagues by now. <laughs> I sort of <laughs> had to read one novel, so I know what they're doing you know in case i meet them <laughs> but and and uh, i often do we uh, it's a small community of uh, uh, crime writers but um 
I guess my, 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 my influences are more American than mm. Scandinavian, yes. Now, uh, one of the things that interested me about this novel is that kind of atmosphere you were talking about. And I think that this novel really has the feel of a horror story to it. I mean, and in particular, uh, um, Robert Aikman, M.R. James, these kind of English ghost stories where um, it's kind of what's not there that, mm. that, uh, that is what frightening. He, they're both very good at, at leaving it to the imagination of the reader. So I'd like you to talk about that. Uh, writing a story around, uh, and that's what mystery writing really is, is writing around what's not there, mm. isn't it? Mm. Yeah, I think so. And um, actually, I think most writing is, uh, is about that, that you have to... Uh, what I learned when I went from writing lyrics uh, from a band to writing novels um, is that you have to trust your readers. Um, uh, I mean, writing lyrics, tri uh, trying to, to find place for a story within three verses and a refrain, you have to have your reader you know, uh, do most of the storytelling and uh, his or her imagination um, must be you know good you you can only give directions and, and hints um, and i discovered that writing a novel is exactly the same thing um you you have um i mean uh words can only give you so much information so you have to find you know uh the key things that you inform them about um, if there's a um, if you're describing a house, you can possibly only give them, uh, you know, um, two or three hints about what the house looks like, and then they have to make the rest of the house themselves. And it's the same thing about characters, you know. Uh, um, that is one of the reasons why I turned down offers for uh, for film, uh, making films of Harry um, uh, books for so long, is that I, I, I had by that time you know, given the reader enough creation uh, information so that uh, he or she could create their own Harry, and having someone you know defining who Harry was on the big screen would destroy those images uh, that uh, the readers had made themselves. Well, that's um, interesting that you perceive. I mean, the importance—that's a whole thing about reading—is that we get to you write the script, and you you write the script, and we make the movie as we read. And most readers, you know, they are better directors than uh, most, you know, movie directors. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, I think it's a, it's a shame because now I have, uh, you know, for many years I was this, um, was this uh, sort of, uh, you know, very proud uh, writer that wouldn't sell the rights for his books. But last year, I'm sorry to say, uh, I caved in and sold out. Oh, really? Um, they were, uh, oh, they were smart. They formed their from working title, a British uh, uh -huh. production company. And uh, they, they probably knew that I had turned down offers for mo movies for many years. Uh, so they had a great opening line. They said, uh, hi, we're working title, we made Fargo. <laughs> well, I guess <laughs> that's a hard line. That's a hard uh, one to turn down, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. Now, uh, how, which, movie, which uh, book are they adapting? The Snowman. The Snowman. Oh, okay. Wow. That's uh, that sounds like fun. Now, uh, as one of the things I, I love about the Snowman is the complexity of the plot and the way you put slice the story back and forth over time. And I'm wondering, 
um, how much of this flows off the tip of your pen and how much of it is, uh, comes out of your economist's mind, your stockbroker's mind, you know, saying, okay, this stock, this, this timeline goes to here, this one goes here, this overlaps here, this comes back here. Mm. That is probably, uh, that is probably my, my, my uh, analytical side. Mm. Uh, um, I work on that a lot before I start writing. I may change it uh, when I'm writing because then you get the feel for it and mm. you, you, you sort of know that, uh, okay, a um, little less of that, a little more of that enough now let's postpone the rest of the information but I um, uh, as, as I get more experienced as a crime writer I pretty much follow my original plan um, uh, because the, the plan is okay uh, um, but what happens is it's more difficult with characters because characters they may surprise you mm. um, it's not like uh, I hear some writers, they say that, okay, my character took me there and there and I was so surprised. And I get a bit, you know, irritated when I hear that. But then again, it, it, to a certain extent, that is true. And in, in my case, it happens when they start talking. Um, it's like you, you may have planned your character in detail, but when they start talking they may take the character in a slightly different direction. And that is why nowadays when I write synopsis, my last synopsis will be very long, like 100 pages. And that is because I always put in pieces of dialogue in the synopsis, just to make sure that I really know my character, that he or she isn't going to surprise me. Now, uh, we're just getting the snowman here, but where are you uh, back in Norway? Are you one or two novels ahead of that? I'm actually by now I'm I'm two novels ahead of you. <laughs> it's, uh, I um, um, I published last year uh, the Leopard, mm -hmm. uh, which was um, a huge success um, in, in in Norway, but also in the rest of Europe, and uh, um, it gave me my first uh, number one in the bestseller list in the UK. Um, and um, in uh, when I get back home in a couple of days, I'm preparing to publish uh, Phantom. Uh, which will be published June 9th and hopefully be, uh, uh, I think Leopard will be published here in the US uh, later this year or early next year and then the year after that you'll uh, hopefully have uh, Phantom. Now uh, both of these, especially Phantom, I'm wondering if you're taking this in an increasingly uh, horror fiction direction. Um, uh, both yes and no. Um, the leopard, which comes after the snowman, mm. is particularly gory and gruesome. Uh, and uh, yeah, probably uh, the most violent book I, uh, I've written in the Harry Hole series. Mm -hmm. um, Phantom is uh, probably more psychological, uh, more, more gritty, but not that bloody. Now, uh, do you still you think uh, Harry Hole has more stories to tell? I, I take it. Uh, he has. Um, then again, I have a storyline for the Harry Hole series, and uh, I'm you not going to arc. tell you how many books or or how it's going to end. But what I can tell you is that he's not going to have eternal life, and uh, <laughs> and he is not like since you mentioned Sherlock Holmes, he's not going to rise from the dead. He's not coming back from that Reichenbach Falls, eh? No. <laughs> I've been speaking with Joe Neswell. His latest novel is The Snowman. Thank you for joining me, Joe. Could you play us one more song? 
Um, okay, um, I'll play you a hit that we had in uh, Norway. Okay. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.